0: Today, we're going to dig into a massive chapter of Moses' life. It's really, it's really powerful stuff. It's like here in one corner, Moses and Jehovah God, and in the other corner is Pharaoh, the greatest power on earth, and all of his magicians, and they're going to go toe-to-toe today. And then Moses, through Jehovah God, is going to unleash what we call the plagues. And it's pretty powerful stuff. So I'm glad you're here. But before we dig into Exodus twelve, that's where we're going to be studying today. I, I want to get you caught up so you know what's going on in God's rescue plan. Because that's what's really happening here. God has called Moses. I want you to go, and I want you to lead my chosen people out of bondage from Pharaoh and the Egyptian slave master. So Here it is. Let's uh, get caught up a little bit. In Exodus chapter 1, a new pharaoh comes into power. This pharaoh didn't know about Joseph, didn't care about Joseph. All he knows is uh, all of these uh, uh, children of Israel, they're having babies by the score. And now they're getting larger and stronger. He's intimidated He's afraid of the children of Israel. So, he enslaves them and treats them harshly because he's fearful, because he's insecure. You understand, right? When we're fearful and insecure, we do bad stuff. We do evil stuff, okay? In Exodus chapter 2, Pharaoh is so evil and so sadistic. Track with me. He says, we got to do something. So, he orders that all the baby boys... Born to the Hebrew people, I want you to grab them away from their mothers and throw them into the Nile River, okay? Uh, Niles known for Nile crocodiles and massive snakes. Just throw them in there and let them drown, and they'll be eaten by the crocodiles and the snakes. That's evil. Baby Moses is born to godly parents. Baby Moses is born to parents who are willing to risk everything to save their son. Okay, and sure enough, this is kind of cool. Uh, Moses catches the eye of the daughter who had condemned him to death. Isn't that just the way God works? The the, the guy who ordered Pharaoh, the, just throw him in the river. Now his daughter looks at Moses and says, That 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 boy is great. He's gonna be mine. So she adopts Moses. Into her family, and now Moses is living in the palace. Okay, when Moses was forty years old, okay, in an act of anger, he takes justice into his own hands and he kills an Egyptian slave master. Okay, and Moses thinks it's quiet, but now suddenly it's not so quiet. News uh, is everywhere. Moses has killed an Egyptian, so Moses runs away from Egypt to the Midian wilderness hundreds of miles away. And for the next 40, he's 40, for the next 40 years, Moses lives as a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. Okay? So Moses is now 80 years old when Jehovah appears to him in a burning bush. We looked at that two Sundays ago. And the Lord tells Moses, hey, I got a plan for you. I want you to lead my rescue mission. I want you to lead... My chosen people out of bondage and slavery to Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, okay? Last week, we saw Moses had lots of excuses, remember? Moses had reasons why, no, no, I don't think I'm your man, I don't think I'm the right person. And we learned that when God calls us, we need to quit making excuses. When God calls us, he's not looking for our abilities, he's looking for what? our availability, okay? He's looking for us to be willing to be used. That's, that's, he supplies the power and the wisdom and the knowledge. We just need to be available, okay? So at 80 years old, Moses agrees to be God's man, okay? And notice with me, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter six. Um, when he finally agrees and he goes uh, in Exodus six, We'll start with verse 6. Here's how the people of Israel respond, okay? Their man is come. He's going to lead them out. Um, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, verse 6, I'll free you from your opposition. I'll rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I'll be your God. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who's freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I'll bring you into a land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. And then once you expect cheers everywhere, everybody goes crazy. Standing ovation, yes, finally. Look how they respond, verse 9. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said. But they refused to listen anymore. They'd become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. They they were so discouraged they didn't want any encouraging words. Now, Now here's the truth. Just pause for a moment. Some of us here today are pretty discouraged. Some of us here, the brutality of this world has just beat you down for, for months and months and years and years. And some of you can identify with the slaves there in Egypt. You're just worn down. You're discouraged. Uh, in, instead of claiming victory that is ours, freedom that Jesus offers, some of us, we've just quit. We've given up. I'm not drawn near to Jesus anymore. That's too hard. You haven't read scripture uh, on your own in a long time. You quit praying months ago. You're not plugged into the church family anymore. Some of us, we understand because we're just so worn out and discouraged just like they were. Okay? So so what do you do? If that's you here this morning, look at verse 6. Here's the reminders. I am the Lord. Do you believe that God is on the throne? Do you believe he wants us to be free and lead us out of slavery? Do you believe that? Okay. Verse 7. By the way, you can answer that. You're, you're awake here, right? Okay. Uh, he says, I want to free you from oppression. I want you to know me personally, and I'm about to free you. You've been oppressed. You've been in bondage. I'm about to free you. Verse A. he proclaims, I'll give you the land that I swore to give you. Our God, who cannot lie, keeps his promises. Is that not good news? I don't lie. I'm going to keep my promises. We serve an awesome, loving, caring God who's ready to run to us, and he'll recharge us. He'll refill us. He'll fill us with hope and power and joy. Well, we've got to turn to him, y'all. Okay. So if you're in that discouraged camp here today i want to remind you god hasn't changed he's still the same guy just come running to me and, and i will keep my promises i'll refill you with my presence and my spirit okay exodus chapter seven here's where it gets good okay jehovah god and moses go toe to toe okay i already said it in one corner is moses and aaron and jehovah god okay and, and they're going, eh, this doesn't look so great. And now, this awesome, most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, and he's got all these amazing magicians, okay? And now they're going to go toe to toe, okay? And he says, Now, this is my plan, Moses. I want you to tell him, let my people go. <laughs> and, and every time he does, what does Pharaoh say? Uh, I don't think so. Not, no. I'm not going to do that, okay? So let's just run through, let my people go, um, and then we'll see what happens, okay? There's the first plague. Go to chapter 8. You can just run through it with me, okay? The lifeblood of Egypt, the Nile River, turns to blood. And what does Moses demand? Let my... Okay, there you go. I'll get you rolling here, okay? So the rivers turned to blood. Everything is dying. It's stinking, rotting fish, rotting crocs and snakes. And and now Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let you go. Second plague, frogs in your shoes, frogs in your bed, frogs in your food. Chapter 8, verses 16 and 19. I know some of you like frogs, but I don't think you like them that well. And And what is... Moses shout again, let my people go. Okay, you got to let them go. And and Pharaoh says, I don't think so, no. Uh, Third plague, gnats. Uh, Here's the best equivalent that I can find to gnats, fruit flies. You ever had fruit flies in your house? They're flying in your eye. They're flying in your, it's bad stuff. And, And they're by the billions, they're everywhere. And what does Moses say again to Pharaoh? Let my people go, okay? Um, so if gnats aren't going to do it, then he sends multiple trillions of flies. I hate flies. Do you hate them, Jose? Yeah. I hate flies, okay? You know, and, and you don't have enough fly swatters. There's not enough devices to zap them. They're everywhere. So he finally, Moses says, hey, here's, here's what I think. Pharaoh, you should do. Let my people go. No, I'm not going to do that. His heart is hard. Fifth plague, livestock, horses, donkeys, camels, sheep, goats, all of the Egyptian animals die. Now, this is pretty cool. And yet, not one animal of the children of Israel die. Now, Now, that's evidence. God is up to something. They all die. God's chosen people, not one of their animals dies. Now Moses turns again to Pharaoh and says, let, say it with me, balcony, let my people go. No, I'm not going to do that. So now it gets a little more personal. Festering boils. Anybody ever have a boil? They're bad. You you get your body filled with festering boils pus filled boils, that'll make you ornery, okay? And everybody uh, of the Egyptians, they're all, even the animals have these festering boils. So now Moses is thinking, well, surely he's going to relent now. And he says to Pharaoh, what does he say? Let my people go, would you please? Let them go. And Pharaoh goes, no way. Now you just ticked me off. So, seventh plague, Exodus 10, massive hail, okay? Uh, I, I would guess softball size hail, maybe larger, and it destroys all the crops. Now, you're going to have a food shortage. Again, Moses turns to Pharaoh, and he shouts at him. What does he say? Let him go. Let him go. Come on, Pharaoh. And, and I can see him like this. No, no, not happening. So we move to the eighth plague, locusts. Dense swarms of locusts devour any plants. Anything that survived the hail is now gone. Their, their food supply is literally taken away. So Moses again turns to Pharaoh and he shouts at him this time No, no, I'm not letting them go. So then the ninth plague. Darkness so thick you can feel it, Exodus 10, 21 to 29. For three days, no sun, no light, total darkness. Okay, can you imagine? It's so thick you can feel it. And now everybody's going, oh, man, this is bad. Moses once again appears to Pharaoh and says loudly, Thank you. No, <laughs> no, no, no. No, you're just ticking me off. Okay? So how's that for an introduction for the rescue plan? Is that pretty good? Okay. Well done. You participated well. Now we're going to see what happens after that darkness has covered the earth. If you're able, would you stand with me? Exodus chapter 12. We're just going to read two verses. And we're going to dig into Exodus 12. Let's declare God's word out loud together. On that night... I'll pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male. Animal in the land of Egypt, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're glad that you are the capital G God of the universe. Thank you that we can come running boldly and confidently corporately, as a church family, into your presence. And we just want you to know we need your help. We need your help today to understand what your book has to say, what it means. And Lord, we want to go beyond that. We need your help to understand what it means to us personally, individually. So would you show us how these verses we're going to study here today apply to our lives? Take charge in your church today. my Jesus be magnified and glorified and lifted high in your church family here. And all the church at Walloon said with one strong voice, you can be seated. Hmm. Hebrews 11.28 says this. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover. Understand, that was a faith activity that Moses demonstrated to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. When Moses presented that, God's rescue plan, that was an act of faith. The fact is that all of Israel, just like all of Egypt, were guilty and sinners and fell short of God's glory, okay? So, unless the shed blood of the lamb was on the doorposts of their homes, the firstborn of Israel would have died just like the firstborn of the Egyptians. So, this plague applied to them equally. Um, even though Israel was protected, the first nine plagues, those plagues didn't, apply to them. Why? Because the Lord was trying to break and crack the evil, wicked heart of Pharaoh. And he was trying to get his attention now to be a part of God's rescue plan. An unblemished, innocent lamb has to die. You understand? Okay? No free passes from the plague of death. No, a spotless lamb is required. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. No scab, no scar, no wounds, no extra parts, no missing parts. Any spot or blemish would disqualify your lamb or your goat. Okay? The key idea here, give me your eyes, the lamb must die. That's the key idea. Why? Why does a lamb have to die? Okay? Because at core, track with me, sin is rebellion against a holy, righteous God. At core, all sin, all of our not doing it God's way, is, no, I think I'm going to do it my way instead. Sin requires the ultimate judgment, which is the death of those who are in rebellion against holy, righteous God. But, but God in his wisdom and grace provided a way out, Okay? Provides a way out. So we're shaking our fists no. um, And the result, the requirement is death. But God in his wisdom and grace said, you know what? A substitute can take the place of the sinner. Isn't that great? A substitute could actually stand in the place of the sinner. So the sinner could be spared from judgment from holy, righteous God. But only if someone else... Or, or an animal would take its place, his or her place, okay? So here's the lesson, you ready? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9.22. The life is in the blood, Leviticus 17.11. And the wages of sin is what? What's, what's the payment for sin? It's death, Romans 6.23. So there must be payment made for sin. In this rescue plan, the sacrifice of the spotless lamb. Therefore, the lamb had to die. Okay. Now note careful, specific instructions that Moses gives, that the Lord gives Moses. And then Moses passes on to the children of Israel. If you're going to follow my rescue plan, here's some very specific instructions. Look at verse 7. They are to take some of the blood... And smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the homes where they will eat the animal. Slide down to verse 22. Drain the blood into a basin. Then take a bundle of hyssop branches. Dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and the sides of the door frames of your homes. And no one may go through the door until morning. Okay? After the lamb had been slaughtered, drain the blood into a bucket, into a basin, take hyssop branches, dip them into the blood, brush the blood across the top of the doorframe and the sides of the doorframe. Dan, if you got this slide, put it up. Here's here's what's going to happen, okay? You've got the blood of the innocent, spotless lamb, and you're going to cover the doorframe of the house hyssop was a weed if you will with little white flowers commonly grew out of the the walls nothing fancy then the people in the house remain in the house till morning until jehovah has completed his rescue plan because the lamb check this was the substitute the lamb was taking the place of the sinners of of the children of israel So they, too, had to be spared by the innocent, spotless lamb. Today, today, our spotless lamb is Jesus Christ. Is that not good news? Jesus Christ. Here's what John the Baptist said. He sees Jesus coming. John 1, 29. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb in Exodus 12, that was temporary protection. Okay? Okay. From the death plague. But Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God gives us eternal. Lasting salvation. And that's for keeps. So that was temporary. Jesus the Lamb of God. That salvation is for keeps. Note what the Lord saw. Exodus twelve thirteen. But the blood on your doorposts. Will serve as a sign. Making the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood. I'll pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. No, catch this. When when the uh, plague, the death plague, the death angel, if you will, is going over, what is it looking for? It's looking for the age, a certain age of people? Is it looking for uh, a certain sex and, and if they're males, we'll, we'll let them live, or females, or... The color of their skin, is that what he's looking for? Was he looking for uh, education and make sure that they've done good works and they're good people? What was the death angel looking at? He was only focused on the blood of the lamb. That's the only thing he was focused on, is their blood covering the door frames of the home. Here's my question. Does the blood of Jesus Christ cover the doorframe of your life? That's the key question. It it doesn't matter your abilities. It, It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your sex, your education. Have you received the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, to wash and cleanse and purify and be your substitute, be my substitute? Have you done that? Okay? Because, look at 1229. At midnight, the clock struck 12 and the death plague struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of all the animals who had not applied the shed blood of the Passover lamb. 1230, uh, there was not a single house without the blood that didn't lose a son or livestock. Even Pharaoh lost his firstborn son even pharaoh wasn't spared and finally that this is the moment where pharaoh's heart melted he finally said okay that's enough he was broken chapter 12 verse 31 he calls Moses and Aaron in and says very subtly get out of here <laughs> Take your people, take your lousy animals, and get out of here. And I never want to see you again. And if I do, I promise you, you're dead. Leave. Take take everything. 12.33, the people of Egypt are afraid. They've all lost sons and animals. They're afraid they're next. Get out of here. Give them whatever they want before we all die. 12.33. That night, look at chapter 12, verse 37. This is pretty cool. Um, That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men plus all the women and the children, okay? Moses has begun God's rescue plan. Moses is going to lead them out of bondage and slavery into freedom. And here's what you need to know. And when we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to our lives, he leads us into freedom. He breaks the chains. We're no longer slaves to sin and Satan and death. We are no longer slaves to this fallen world. If you know Jesus personally, you've been set free. Is that not good news? You are no longer a slave to your pet sins. You're no longer bound to the false idols of this world. Okay? Now, here's the problem. A lot of us, we've been set free, but that's not the way we live. Is that not true? Yeah, I'm free. Jesus has set me free, broke the chains of sin and Satan and this fallen world, but we still are chained to our old pet sins. Many of us, we're still chained, and we're living as though we're in prison, in bondage, slaves, even though we've been set free. And the Lord made it clear to me, okay, well, what do you do when you're feeling that way? Okay, here's one of the things, and I sing this song fairly frequently when I sense uh, Satan is oppressing and attacking and tempting, okay? Uh, This is from Big Daddy Weave, you know? Big Daddy Weave, okay? He's like one of my favorites. Anyway, uh, he he has this song, and, and it goes like this. I belong to God. I belong to Jesus. Saved by your power. Bought with your blood. I'll say to the darkness, you do not own me anymore. Oh, I belong to God. Oh, I belong to God. And I love that line. You don't own me anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I told the Lord I didn't want to do that. And he said, do it anyway. Okay. So I did it. Now, here's what I find most interesting. So that works for me. But the Israelites were set free. Chapter 12, verse 37. They're no longer Pharaoh. They're free from their slave masters. But if you go to Exodus 32, this is just a few weeks later, okay? In Exodus 32, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Receives the Ten Commandments, the law. They're free from slavery, but their hearts are still chained to false idols. And and they're making uh, golden calves. Well, how can that be possible? They're free. They're not slaves anymore, but I'm telling you, they were going to spend the next 40 years getting free from their false idols. They weren't slaves anymore, but boy, they still had sin that still had them bound. Now, here's the truth. Give me your eyes. Some of us, we've been set free by Jesus. We've been living for Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years We're followers of the king, but we're still chained and living as a slave to our old sinful habits. We've got entangling, besetting sins. We don't have any control over. They control us. That's the reality. Jesus has has set us free, but we're still living chained to our old sin. Some of us are chained to sexual sin. Give me your eyes. Some of us here today, alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs, we're bound by them. Some of us here are prisoners to unforgiveness, and there's bitterness and anger in our hearts. Some of us, that old false idol, we don't have golden calves. We have golden phones and golden houses and boats and stuff. We got to have the latest. That's that's an idol, okay? Some of us are bound by sins in our mouth. We can't keep our mouths shut. We're gossiping. We're lying, filled with envy and greed. I'm just telling you, it's common in the church. Jesus didn't die on the cross and arise from the dead. He didn't die and rise again to make bad people good. You understand that, right? Jesus died on the cross, arose from the dead, to set us free, to make us alive in Him. That's why He did that. And, and I'm just telling you, that's not the way many of us are live, living right now. We're, we're still chained and we're still followers. He's freed us from our sin. Do you believe that? Jesus has shed His blood, washes, cleanses, so we can serve Him and serve others. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're invited to wash and cleanse the doorframe of your life. He sets you free, but you're still chucking, stuck in chains. What do you do? If that's you here today, and the truth is you still got a, an old pet sin that has you bound, what do you do? Where's our freedom today as followers of Jesus Christ? Okay, There is a plague of pet sins chaining the church of Jesus Christ. That's the reality. Many of us here, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm still, I'm still bound. And, and the power and the joy and the peace, they're, they're kind of all chained up in my life. And, and it really doesn't uh, show itself much because I got this old pet sin going on in my life. So what do we do? Okay. Well, you can sing, I belong to God. I'll say to this darkness... You do not own me anymore. That's a good start. That'll help. But I want to offer you 12 practical steps to freedom. Some of you right now should get your pen and get ready to write your hand off, okay? Because I'm going to give you 12 steps to getting and living free. Um, You want a victorious life? You want joy? You want power? You want Jesus to shine bright for you? You want to get rid of those old chains? Okay? I'm telling you, This is taken from the Life Recovery Bible. And let me just say, this is like my new favorite Bible. It really is. Um, I know we use it in our Life Recovery group, but Pastor Chad, uh, you kind of, uh, you turned me on to this. uh, And I'm blaming you. It's wonderful. But in Life Recovery, they take the steps and they make them Jesus and Bible focused. So that's what we're going to cover right now. And I'm telling you, These are powerful, okay? First step. Do we have it up there? I think we do. Yeah, number one. Admit that I'm powerless over my sinful urges. (laughs) I've got these old sinful fleshly desires uh, and I don't have any power over them. Matter of fact, they're controlling me. Romans 7, 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Second step. I've come to believe that power greater than me exists Jesus Christ can restore my sanity is that not good news? Jesus Christ is able Uh, Philippians 2.13 God is working in you in me the desire and the power to do what pleases him third step I make a decision to turn over my will to the care of Christ (laughs) it's enough I've been trying I can't do it Lord Romans 12.1 Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, offer your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. Step four, I'm going to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of my life. No more lying to myself, no more pretending. I'm going to look deep. Lamentations chapter three, verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord's. Fifth step, admit to Christ, admit to myself, admit to another human being the exact nature of my wrongs and my sin. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other, pray for one another so that you may be healed. Step number six, I'm entirely ready to have Jesus remove all these defects from my character. I've had enough. Uh, this old pet sin this old entangling, besetting thing that's followed me. I hate it. I've had enough. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord. And in due time, he's going to lift you up. Step number seven, I humbly ask God, would you help remove my shortcomings? Would you help me to get rid of this stuff? 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all wickedness. Step number eight, I make a list of all the people I've harmed. Become willing to make amends to them all. Luke 6:31. do to others as you would like them to do to you. Ninth step, I make direct amends to as many people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Matthew 5, 23, 24. If you're preparing a sacrifice at the altar, someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come back and make your sacrifice. Step number 10. I continue to take personal inventory. And when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it. I'm going to make short accounts. I'm going to get right and clean with the Lord, and I'm going to constantly be on guard for any other chains that start coming my way. First uh, Corinthians 10:12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Step number eleven. I through prayer, meditating on God's word. I pray for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry it out. Colossians 4:2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Twelfth and final step. I've had a spiritual awakening. I finally am getting free because of these steps. And I've tried, and I'm going to try to carry this message to other people to continue practicing these steps in my daily life. Galatians 6.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another person is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I'm fully persuaded, I'm fully convinced if everybody here this morning, right now, would begin to seriously put these 12 steps into practice in our daily lives. If all of us seriously said, yep, I'm here, I'm with you, I believe revival would break out in northern Michigan. I think think people would come pouring in. We wouldn't have room. We'd have to have Three services, four services. The balcony would be bulging. The unchurched people would fill this place because they, what's going on? What is it that's going on in your life? The greatest enemy of life, recovery, and victory is to deny that I need recovery and victory. I, I think I'm okay. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good in comparison. I'll be fine. I'll pull myself out of this situation in time. I'll be okay. Those are the lies that we tell ourselves. It's going to be okay. You know, when everybody has an entangling pet sin, I'm not the only one. The greatest enemy of life recovery and victory is to deny that we need daily recovery and victory. How many times Do we have to try and fail and try and fail before I admit, you know what? (laughs) Jesus, I desperately need you. I yield, I surrender totally to you and your spirit and I'm going to be obedient to your book, whatever it takes. Jesus, I need your presence. I need your power. I need your spirit alive in me, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I'm there. The Lord had a rescue plan for Moses and the children of Israel. The Lord has a rescue plan for you and me. Is that not good news? The Lord has a rescue plan for you and me and it's just not fire insurance and oh, I think I got my ticket to heaven and and I'll be okay. That's not God's plan for your life and mine. He wants us to live free. He wants us to shine bright. Will you accept his terms of peace? (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we pause and we just invite you. Take your word and would you drive it home. Show us how this applies to our lives, specifically, individually. We're listening. Help us to hear you well. So you may be here and you've been born again and you've got fire insurance and you're confident that Jesus is alive and working in you. The problem is you're still a prisoner to sin and Satan in this fallen, sinful world. Still chained to your pet sin. Here's a fact. Jesus wants to bring your life victory. He desires for all of us to admit and own our weakness and seek him and his word and his spirit and his church to see victory and life break out in our lives. Any of you say as we close, Jesus, thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for being patient with me. I need your rescue plan for me. You talked about those steps, I'm all in. I'm ready to accept your terms. I'm ready to accept your steps. I realize victory is a process, not a one-time event, but it does have a beginning point. It has a start to it where I yield, I surrender to you and your terms. Whatever it takes. Anyone say with a lifted hand, that's where I'm at. Whatever it takes, count me in. lift up your hand I want to pray with you I want to celebrate with you I know it's it's a big deal anybody that's me see my hand Lord terms of peace that pet entangling besetting sin needs to die by your grace Jesus that starts today anybody see my hand Lord that's you see pastor chad or me we'll get you one of these uh, bibles into your hands we'll help you get going on your journey to victory but please know the first step is to know that jesus is your passover lamb maybe you're watching online you've never opened the door of your life and welcomed jesus in Here's what you need to know. Jesus left the glory and splendor of heaven. He took on a human body, lived a sinless life. Jesus qualified to be our Passover lamb. He shed his blood for my sin problem and yours. He took our place in the grave. Early Sunday morning, Jesus arose from the dead, literally, bodily, physically, for you and for me. Jesus, I I believe by faith those facts for me. Those are historical facts. I believe them for me. And now I choose (laughs) with excitement and gratitude. I open the door of my life and I receive you into my life. Jesus, I welcome you in. I choose to follow you as my Savior, my King, my Passover Lamb. If that's you here this morning, hit that prayer button. Make your way over to the prayer corner if you're here in person. Jesus, work powerfully, work victoriously. Thank you again for how you used Moses to accomplish your rescue plan. And thank you even more for using your son Jesus to bring us our rescue plan that's permanent. That's powerful. We invite you to come and take charge of our lives. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray these things.